0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: This is The Guardian. It is an insecure world in which we need to put in place measures that increase peace and security in our region. One of the lessons of the pandemic is, in general, we need to be more self-reliant. We need to be less vulnerable to international shocks, which might be a health shock through a pandemic, it might be a cyber issue, or it might be military conflict.
0: Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to the show. You're on Australian Politics with Catherine Murphy and bizarrely, this week we are not in the pod cave. We are in a secret location. You are. <laughs> the Prime Minister's <laughs> looking at me with a fair amount of alarm at this point. Anyway, look, my guest, Anthony Albanese, Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, we're obviously having a chat because the parliamentary year is about to, oh, God, start both bells, you know, with all bells on.
1: Did it ever end?
0: No, but the parliamentary (laughs) year, I mean. Obviously, obviously, politics never stops, but the parliamentary year is about to start. And also, uh, I spoke uh, on, oh, I can't remember how many occasions uh, with the PM before he was the PM on the podcast. We used to have actually regular chats in the olden times about all kinds of interesting things. I don't think I've had you on the pod since you were PM.
1: You've rejected me, well, Catherine.
0: Well, I don't know about that. But anyway, I just think we've got lots to talk about. And I want to open the conversation not by plunging into a bunch of issues that we are going to plunge into in a little bit, but by talking about leadership more generally. Because I reckon there'll be a lot of listeners who will be quite intrigued by um, how you found the transition to from being leader of the opposition to being the prime minister, um, what habits you might have Uh, picked up in order to help you manage an obviously really difficult, intense job. Um, And also, uh, I think I want to get into the idea of ensemble leadership, which I think is what you've been trying to demonstrate really over the last six months, and that's quite interesting. So... Let's start, uh, just before we started recording, I reminded the PM that uh, there was a great profile of Barack Obama a couple of years ago in Vanity Fair, which went to a lot of questions about how he managed the really intense job of being president. I just want to throw you a quote to start the conversation. So he spoke about the first night he slept in the White House after he was elected. So he said, the first night you sleep in the White House, you think, "Oh, okay, I'm here, I'm sleeping here." Then, in the middle of the night, you startle awake, and there's this sense of absurdity. There's such an element of randomness in who gets to do this job. <laughs> then he says, "You basically he was he was a week into the presidency. Like it took him about a week, and then he felt his sort his body caught up with him that he'd arrived that he this is the presidency. I'm here. This is really happening." On we go. So can you go back to the first night that you occupied one of the official residences and like what that was like? That sort of, oh my God, I won.
1: I think I had a big advantage, which of course was not planned by me. The fact that the election was May 21. On May 23, I was sworn in at 9 a.m. as Prime Minister of Australia. And by twelve noon I was in the air on the way. Yes, you were going to Tokyo. Yep. In the Prime Ministerial plane. So the government plane has a meeting room on it and I was briefed all the way up and all the way back uh, from the head of defence, foreign affairs, people from the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. I had so much to do in terms of briefings. And that made, I think, a short-circuited the transition Mm -hmm. so that on day two, by the Tuesday morning, I was meeting with President Biden, Prime Minister Kishida and Prime Minister Modi. I was clearly on the international stage and that, I think, really helped to concertina. Yeah, <laughs> The yeah, transition. Yeah. Right,
0: interesting. Um, yeah.
1: And I, I think both publicly as well. Uh, normally there's this period of who's going to do what job. We had a swearing in of uh, five key ministers yeah. Yeah. Uh, that first morning. Uh, that was a decision. There hadn't been the normal caucus processes and all of that slow dynamic that goes through. So I got back on the Wednesday uh, evening and then back down to, to Canberra again. But I think that really helped. And as well, the public saw oh, well, there's been a change of government. We yeah. had journalists with us, of course, on that visit as well. So that really fast-tracked everything. I kept staying at my home in Marrickville for some time before I moved into Kirribilli when I was in Sydney, but uh, I got to go to the lodge probably two weeks after the election, I think. Uh, And uh, the lodge, I'd never been upstairs in the lodge before. Um, I had no idea what to expect. There's lots of little rooms off Mm -hmm. uh, two main corridors. There's like two wings almost to it. It's a lot bigger than my old house, let me say that. Yeah. and there are still elements when i wake up there at the the lodge and it uh, hits me mm. the the significant change which is there the kirribilli of course uh, the cooks river is a beautiful river but it's not quite
0: no not quite sydney that. harbour not quite sydney harbour <laughs> so it
1: it's very different uh that dynamic plus the whole Dynamic of a lot more is done for you as the prime minister. I'm I'm incredibly self-sufficient. Re uh, the way that uh, my home has always been, people get a shock who visit me at home and see everything being very neat and Mm. in place. And my world is very different now, and that's something that takes some getting used to. and I hope in a way that I never get used to it Yeah. because once you get used to it, you're taking it for granted and a whole lot of things that make your life easier, which are common sense to make your life easier, uh, things that other people spend a lot of time organising and putting in place Uh The security arrangements, the arrangements to get me from A to B, you don't fly commercially in part because of security issues, uh, but it means you can get from A to B easy. I flew Mm, on Friday. I Mm. flew from Devonport to Bendigo. I don't know that many planes have ever gone from Devonport (laughs) to Bendigo. No, it's not a conventional route, no. (laughs) It's certainly not a commercial route that's about to open up. Yeah. But that means you can get a lot more done. It's an efficiency mechanism as well.
0: Mm. And President Obama said in this piece that the thing that he found that changed the most for him was just on your point, right, that, that a lot is scheduled for you, a lot is done for you, in order to keep you doing the job you need to do right he said that the big change for him was that sort of almost all spontaneity left life you lost those opportunities where you know you, you wake up at, you come to at 10 10 p.m and you you need a magnum right? and you go down to the 7-eleven and you get it right and then you bump into someone and you hear a story and and that sort of sets your evening on another path or sets you thinking in another way. He said just all of that from, from life just went and he found that quite disorienting at a human level. Is is, is similar, different? Oh, oh,
1: it is. I used to, I'm one of those people who would shop for what they were cooking that night. Yeah. And now I can't just drop into a shop if you need something I, I need a bike pump at the moment.
0: <laughs> well, if anyone could send the Prime Minister a bike pump, I'm sure he'd be very grateful. I have,
1: I have um, for the, the, the bikes there at the lodge. I look at it, but I need to plan and and there needs to be an advance party to yeah. the bike pump shop. No, no,
0: exactly. Um, exactly.
1: It is much more difficult. So I've done things like I bought it sounds absurd, but I bought like enough shampoo and vitamins, and that's sort of, <laughs> this that does, sort this of does not sound. Absurd. Knowing you, this does not sound absurd for for mm. like at least six months. Yep, uh, because going to the shop is just requires a massive difficult. It, yeah, it yeah, requires massive, a massive effort, a, a, a major effort yeah. buying people Christmas presents. Mm. I can't just go from shop to shop to shop in the way that you would normally do. You yeah. just uh, wander around. But um, it is something that can be frustrating. You can't just drop into the pub, as what I used to do, mm. and you would meet people who I know, people at various establishments around the inner west where I could always find someone to, hey, do you want to drop up for a beer and a game of pool? Mm. Uh it's far more complex hmm. these days to and, do that.
0: And in terms of um, obviously, it's necessary, right? Um, and which was sort of your point. It's it's necessary, but it it ch- it changes your life in all sorts of ways. And sort of like pivoting now to the style of leadership that you're exhibiting in the first several months of the government, which is. I think I'd use the word ensemble leadership, right? It's not just you. There's other there's other players on the stage. Collegial
1: is the term that I use.
0: Well, it's yeah, it's something sort of vaudevillian about it, though, but in a good way. But anyway, um, so it's sort of like those things need to change. But I suppose the risk for you as prime minister, particularly a prime minister who has sort of organically networked your entire life, right? The job can cut you off. The job can, uh, you know, because people start lying to you, right? Like they don't—they don't want to offend the prime minister, so they—they they lie. They don't necessarily tell you what you need to know or what you what you need to hear. They self-censor. Um, do you have any of that sense that people are sort of changing around you, courtesy of the status of the office, or has have you not noticed much of that?
1: Look, there is a change in how people who see you on the street address you, obviously. You go from some recognition to a lot more recognition. Uh, But people, I think part of the Australian character is that people will just treat you as who you are. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same person and I try to stay grounded. I have very consciously though done some things that seem as though they'd be more difficult than they actually are. What do like, you mean? Like I've I, I continued to play in the Sydney Badge Tennis Comp last year, and I've enrolled again uh, this year. Now I won't be able to play every week and Mm -hmm. I'm a reserve. The comp goes for 14 weeks. But hanging out with people who I've known for years at America Lawn Tennis Club, I'm just me there. Like I'm not treated any differently there from how I was treated beforehand. Mm. I just come to the club with additional friends Mm. these days.
0: Yes, yes, some friends from the constabulary. Yes, don't
1: don't mind my Um, friends. So I think that's really important and uh, I have a bunch of people I grew up with who I still keep in contact with and engage with. I, I spoke with my best friend from school, from primary school, I spoke with last week and I think that engagement with people who are not part of the system. This, this here, life. This life, yeah. Uh, uh, is really important uh, that you maintain those connections. Uh, I didn't make a lot of rugby league games last year, but at South, I'm just the same person. I always was and hang with the, the same people I've hung with for a long time mm. um, there. I think you have to make a conscious decision to do that, and I, I tried to do that. It is difficult in this job because some people will who you meet with will, I guess, hold their fiery, their their views on things. But there's enough people around me as well. I I have a very strong core of people, political friends, who will tell me exactly what they think as well. Mm. Mm. Now, some of those uh, work in this building, but many of them don't. Uh, Many of them are just people who uh, work in private or public sector jobs, who I continue to engage with and catch up with, not as much as I used to because I'm busier. Hmm. Uh, But I think that's really important as well to have people who will tell you if they think that you've got it wrong. Hmm.
0: And in terms of the, I don't suppose you want to name names, in terms of who's around in your orbit, who's been influential for you in the transition?
1: I think people... We'll see who they are and we'll know who they are. Really, they the key members of the government but also uh, people like uh, Tim Gartrell and the people who have worked with me mm. uh, for a long, long period time. of time. Yeah, and
0: you brought people um, back too. Yep.
1: Yeah, and, and some people came back who worked for me when I was uh, last a minister. But there's uh, a bunch of people in this office who I have been friends with and engaged with professionally as well for a very long period of time. There are three or four people I went to university Mm. with and was uh, active in young labour with in the 1980s, Nathan's godfather, uh, works in this office now. He had never worked for me before. He uh, agreed to come and to bring his expertise outside of this building for decades mm. into this office and that that brings me a sense of trust but as well there are people who tell me exactly what they think as well. I have tried to surround myself with people who are not just yes people mm. But who have ideas and capacities. And part of that capacity is to be honest about their views. And one of the reasons why I doubt whether there's anyone in this building who has as many long term staff as I do, I think that says something about the culture that I've always cultivated in an office where I'm, you know, my name's on the door but everyone has a responsibility to making sure that the the output yeah, is yeah. as good as possible.
0: Everybody, Everyone has some ownership, which again brings us back to the ensemble and this sort of retro return of, you know, government by cabinet. You know, your ministers are, well, they appear to be, I don't know, maybe there's all kinds of fur flying behind the scenes and foot stamping and everything else, but everybody seems to be owning their own portfolios running policy in their areas and you're not styling yourself in messianic terms at least not yet like maybe maybe you will grow so enormously fond of yourself that you'll need to burst through and you know be be at the center of everything while you are clearly running the show all these other people are out and about prosecuting Agendas, in a leadership sense, like how does that work? How does how do you facilitate that?
1: Leadership isn't about uh, thinking that you always know best. Leadership is about listening, as well as leading. And the capacity of people in the ministry uh, that I have is just exceptional. Uh, you have a, a bunch of people who have served as senior ministers in the government uh, past Penny Wong, uh, Tony Burke, Chris Bowen, uh, Katie Gallagher as Chief Minister of the ACT, people who have not served as ministers before, like Ed Husic and Anne Lee and Christy McBain, really serious people coming through, and then an incredibly talented backbench as well. And I think the job of leadership is to maximise the capacity of the organisation that you lead. And you do that by having faith in people, uh, making clear what the overall direction of the government is going to be, but also recognising that you can't run a federal government from the PMO. Uh, you have to have faith, not just in people who are elected members of the cabinet, the ministry, the caucus, but also of the public service, mm. maximising the respect that you give them. You'll get more out of them if they are focused on achievement and they know that they are valued on staff as well. The same attitude I have in the office uh, here as well. I encourage that openness and engagement from officers uh, across the board. And when we had the Christmas party here at the end of uh, last year, uh, we had uh, just at one of the areas down there, the the National Portrait Gallery, the feeling in the room of that sense of, in ideological terms, that sense of collectivism Mm. uh, was tangible. You could feel it and that sense of being a part of something big, uh, which being in government provides you with the opportunity to achieve. Uh, So I made the very conscious decision that I would – when I became opposition leader, lead in the way that I wanted to lead in government because I think that it it flows naturally through. So Tony Abbott, some people would argue, was a successful opposition leader. Sure, if we go back and find a podcast, we would have discussed this in the past. Mm-hmm. He was not my role model because mm-hmm. I think that the way that he acted as opposition leader uh, meant that when he came into government... Um, it was impossible to just flick a switch and go to governing because it was a a negative Mm, response. I wanted to Mm. uh, lead in a positive way and to encourage genuine discussion, uh, which I did in the shadow cabinet and the cabinet and its processes, the National Security Committee, the Expenditure Review Committee, the other committees of Cabinet and our processes are working in a way in which there is a spirit of cooperation, a spirit of respect. You've got to enable people to say something that is inappropriate and, and uh, not the best suggestion without them being ridiculed or mm. having a go at them uh, you'll only get a good idea if people are allowed to come up with a bad idea mm. and and have a debate about it as well rather than everyone being silent and worried about yeah saying the wrong thing that.
0: or whatever but also though I mean just as a you know you're at the head of the queue um, and and you're right there is this sort of sense of um, a spread of core certainly in the government but obviously the long-term risk, Well, not even the long-term risk, given the way time accelerates in politics, right? It's sort of like you've got to manage rivalries, competitions between individuals uh, because everybody wants to advance, everyone wants to succeed. So, you know, how conscious are you of that? I mean, obviously we're only six months in. but
1: It's it's a competitive business. That's the truth and that can often uh, be difficult for people to manage. Part of my management style is to give everyone respect for everyone to be able to contribute, not to there to be uh, just a a small inner circle who get to dominate. Mm. And I think that if you look at what people are saying about the former government, I mean, the the absurdity of going so – internal and so uh, such a concentration of power so that the former prime minister chose to appoint himself to the multiple ministries as th- the opposite mm. of leadership from my perspective because ministers clearly didn't even didn't even know that was was going on so I'm pretty transparent about the way that we're doing things in the the cabinet, and 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 it goes back to twenty nineteen. Uh, I read recently uh, for someone who's doing a, a another task a, a, a book. Read uh, the speech I gave on the day I became Labor leader. So that's kind of what we put in place. That's the template, and then the big speech I gave at during 2019 when we had the review of these are the four stages, this is what we will do, and we did that Mm. uh, and took people into our confidence as well, said that publicly. I said, for example, we would have our 2030 target after Glasgow. Mm. I said that well in advance. That's a risk to do that Mm. because people know what you're doing, but here again... We're mapping out for, we'll get into the policy stuff, but for 2023, we've mapped out. We will be doing national security issues here in the first quarter, the Defence Strategic Review, other Mm -hmm. activities. Uh, We have other reform agendas that we're taking through in the lead up to the budget Budget. in May. And then in the second half of the year, we will have, the referendum saying well in advance of what the timetable of that will be and the processes leading up to that. We've got the, the we'll get into to those as well. But I think doing that gives people the confidence that they're valued, that their ideas are worth putting the effort into and There are no ministers that are not performing in my view and that's extraordinary that 30 people, many of whom have never done this job before and many of whom have different jobs than they've ever done before, are managing to deliver outcomes and change and do positive things for the country. You would expect that, if you pick 30 people then there's going to be yeah
0: ups you know, and downs ups or and downs. spectrum
1: but there's no one that i, I look at and I've, I've gone through with all 30 you've done performance reviews what have you? The, Well, what the plans are yeah. for charter uh, letters this and year so mm. and what the plans are what it looks like in 2025 as well and that i find i get a great deal of satisfaction for how the government has begun, you know, on the front foot. And and I think people are responding in that really positive way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well,
0: let's do some issues now. And I think you've basically identified the ones that I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the voice. I want to talk to you about the Defence Strategic Review, because I'm not sure that the Australian community really has their head around that yet and how big that that is, potentially, um, and also just, anyway, we'll get into some other issues, but let's just start with the voice, right? Can you win this thing if Peter Dutton says no?
1: Well, I think that the question's wrong and that's the, the first thing. It's not a matter of you, um, as in me. So, you know, this is an opportunity for Australians. I, I have the same vote that you do, that every person listening to this podcast does. This isn't something that's my idea. This is something that was first mentioned in the nineteen nineties. Came together. This current process really began in two thousand twelve. There was a five year process leading up to Uluru, and then since then, uh, so this has come from the bottom up, from meetings of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples, saying, "One, the what is recognition in the Constitution, the how." is through a voice Hmm. to Parliament is what they want and they want that to be constitutionally enshrined. Now, it's something that I'm strongly, strongly supportive of and are are incredibly committed to. And I have faith that the Australian people, when they go into a ballot box, will vote yes. Yes.
0: Is is there any universe? And I don't, I don't. I'm sorry to sort of ask two negative questions to to start with because it's sort of, in a way, it's the wrong tone. But, the, but these are really essential points, right? Peter Dutton may say no.
1: And, oh, absolutely. And, and I think there are internal dynamics in the National Party, in the Liberal Party, and in the Greens Party. In part, what we're seeing is is their internal mechanisms playing out.
0: So, I mean, you're right to chip me and say, I, Anthony Albanese, am not the single winner or loser of this, you know, of this process. You're right to chip me. Well, that's
1: important. I I, I don't do it out of uh, any gratuitous means. It's important that uh, Australians know that, uh, and this is what gives me optimism, it's about showing respect for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And the the wording, the draft wording that I've got out there says, in recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first peoples. That's how it begins, Mm. the recognition. So it's respect for them. But it's also about how we perceive ourselves as Australians. I think Australians will get a great deal of satisfaction by celebrating the fact that we do share this great land with the oldest continuous culture on earth, and that that will be a positive thing uh, for people to embrace. And thirdly, of course, it's also about the way that the world sees us as well, whether we're a mature nation, whether we're prepared to acknowledge our history.
0: Of course. But the point is, you know, rather like the marriage equality debate, I mean, obviously quantifiably different, but but analogous in this sense, right? Right. In the marriage equality debate, the majority decides the rights of the minority. Uh, we're going through another process now where the majority decides the rights of the minority. And because of the history of the country, what I'm trying to say is, in the event that Peter Dutton says no and decides to make an issue of this, decides to blow this up, we are you've got to countenance the possibility that the referendum fails, because that's what history tells
1: us. Of course, referendums have historically failed more than they've been successful. Exactly.
0: So can I ask you this? Because uh, obviously you as Prime Minister have to uh, obviously try and move the country forward, but you also have a responsibility to the citizens of the country, including to First Nations people, Mm -hmm. is there a universe in which you would countenance stepping back from the referendum if you judged it was not going to be successful?
1: To not hold the referendum yeah. is to ensure that it's not successful.
0: <laughs> so is the so is the that, answer that's, no? That's, is the answer
1: no? No is the answer because it of course is a risk to hold a referendum uh, where, uh, particularly where, at the moment, it is only the Labor Party that is saying uh, that they are committed to a. Yes, vote. Mm. But it, it's like worrying about winning a grand final so therefore you don't run on the field and forfeit. And that's essentially what it is. It would be forfeiting the opportunity for recognition in the form in which Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are asking for.
0: So, so this process is locked and loaded. When, when, are, when are we likely to see the referendum? I mean, you're not obviously going to tell me the date today that the campaign starts, but when do we expect it?
1: Well, the the timetable is can be worked out pretty easily uh, because uh, you have uh, the machinery of, of referendum, there's legislation at the moment. Uh, there's a committee report will come down in the next uh, week or so when Parliament resumes, and then that will be debated and carried, I would hope, uh, because we haven't had a had a referendum this century, so mm. that's got to be updated. Yep. So that's the first process. Then the uh, the process, the referendum working group, is meeting in a couple of days' time. Uh, it's continued to work through, along with there's a constitutional advisory group of eminent lawyers, former high court justice yep. and, and others working those issues through. And they're, they're looking at the wording of the, They're looking yep. at the wording. They're yep. looking at all of that. Yep. Uh, you will have legislation introduced during this period of sittings, So, before the end of March, there will be legislation introduced to the Parliament that will have in it the draft wording to be debated. There will be a parliamentary inquiry in which people can make submissions to it, uh, which will go for at least six weeks. Yep. And then during the budget sessions that begin in May Mm -hmm. and then June, you will have that debated and voted on and hopefully pass. Mm. (laughs) It needs to pass. Yes. In order to... Of course, it's a precursor of the
0: referendum at all. In order to have
1: a vote. Yes. So the parliament will have a say and every parliamentarian will have a say and there will be a parliamentary process of a committee report leading, leading up to that as well. So that takes you up to June. Yeah. And then once the legislation passes, it has to, according to the Act... Uh, be at least two months and 33 days. Yep. Don't ask me why that particular figure's in there because that makes no sense to me why sure. it's not three months. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's two months and 33 days. Yep. Uh, I guess a bit like the 33 days for a federal yeah, election, exactly. ocean, that's why, mm-hmm. has to be between that period and six months.
0: So then it's, then it's sort of it's September, isn't it, thereabouts? Thereabouts August between September, September, September and December. And, yeah, between September and December.
1: So that's that's the time frame. Okay, uh, which is uh, which is there, but it's also the process. Like this is uh, that is one of the furfies that's out there, is that somehow there's, there's not enough information. There is this whole process, and the danger of of this as well is that people get. You know, overloaded with information, and you know, there's going to be an opportunity uh, for that to occur. What, what's interesting is that I put forward the draft wording in July mm. of last year at the Gama Festival. That's what people are actually going to vote on. I haven't had any member of parliament yet, yeah, come up with come some... up with a single change of any word that's been put forward.
0: What about uh, just on the sovereignty question, because uh, the Green Senator, Lydia Thorpe, has raised this and we saw in the Australia Day marches, Invasion Day marches around the country, there was a fair bit of purchase about this point at the grassroots level. Uh, She's concerned that saying yes to the voice is tantamount to Indigenous people ceding sovereignty. Does the government, I could see, I'll just tell you, everybody listening, you should see the Prime Minister's face. Look, there's a specific question. Do you have legal advice from the Solicitor-General or eminent legal minds uh, that basically can guide the government on this question? Is there any risk that sovereignty is ceded?
1: No. Of course we have uh, legal advice about the whole range of questions and and indeed the wording itself that's put up isn't words that you know I sat down in a room oh, look, and, oh, and, and and came up of with course, so obviously, all, all of but... all of these issues people looking for a distraction is is probably the the wrong word but there there are some people uh, who either when they are of a hard right position or a hard left position come uh, to the same conclusion and are clearly cooperating of not providing support for what is being proposed overwhelmingly by you can call it the mainstream, call it the overwhelming majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the lead up to Uluru and and ever since. Mm-hmm. The, the remarkable thing that has occurred in the stages of this process has been that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who haven't always agreed on a range of issues are on the same page.
0: But it's not... A- now,
1: now not, every, not, not everyone is on the same page. This is not a radical proposition. And I said the other day, it's not a radical proposition. It's not surprising that some people who are on the radical positionary, you know, you you have also a range of positions being put forward, uh, which also won't be advanced by this. This isn't going oh, to mean, mean like that.
0: Power of veto or all that sort all, of stuff. All of you that,
1: mean. it won't have power of veto. It won't be a funding body. It uh, won't run programs. Uh, it won't also uh, mean that uh, people's backyards is uh, is threatened. And so uh, you will have uh, people from opposite starting points, but they end up at the same point. Yeah, and and that isn't an unusual in civil politics. No, no, that's right.
0: And look and some people obviously will oppose this because they are opposed to it and will find whatever means of uh, of injecting that opposition, right? But these are basic questions. I just want to go just again to sovereignty, just so that we're clear. Well this is this isn't, this no, isn't no.
1: about that. No, this no. isn't about that, Catherine. So you can you can go down rabbit holes. I'm not going to assist you. No 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 um. it's, well
0: well no no but it, it's not in this sense, right? I think that there will be people in the community who hear that message, who hear that, that the voice means there we accept the white man's constitution.
1: But, but and history has, one of the things that Noel Pearson speaks about very powerfully is that there are three parts, if you like, to Australia's history and all of them can't be just erased. One is Indigenous ownership of this land for 65,000 years. Sovereignty oh, never seen. The that. second is the fact that the First Fleet arrived in 1788 and that changed our history. And yes, there are some negative things with that, but there are also incredibly positive things with that as well. And that is important to acknowledge as well. And the third is that particularly in the post-war period, the multicultural development of the modern multicultural diverse society which we have here. Now, there are are some people who want uh, everything uh, post-1788 to be erased. That is not my position. Mm. That is not the government's position. That is not something either, which in my view has is a constructive way uh, it, to move the nation forward. No, 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 sure. Uh, we, we share this continent. Everyone has a place in this continent. And some of the debates uh, that take place uh, are put forward views that I don't share and... That is why some of the the debates that people are looking for, whether they be in some of the views that were we'll put forward uh, on Australia Day, uh, you know, I, I don't think that Lydia Thorpe's views are representative of a majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and I don't think they're representative of a majority of Greens voters sure, either.
0: Sure, but but just in terms of just one more and then we will move off this, um, but I agree with you that, that the sovereignty point and the voice are two separate propositions. It's sort of like ships in the night. But the point is, you know, it's a reasonable question to ask what is the impact of the voice on this sovereignty question, because obviously Indigenous people say sovereignty was never ceded. Is there anything associated with the voice that obviates that point?
1: It's about our history and it's about what it's about. And and uh, the sort of argument uh, that is taking place is a bit like uh, some of the debate from others as well, saying uh, what is the impact on Uh, definition of Aboriginality, Mm. there are a whole range of questions, which was one of the questions that that Peter Dutton was putting forward. There are a range of questions, Catherine, which are not what this referendum is about. And one of the the tactics to defeat the referendum is asking so-called questions uh, which have nothing to do with what this referendum is about. This referendum is about two things, recognition and consultation. That's what it's about, recognising Indigenous people in our constitution who currently aren't recognised, and secondly, that Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander peoples should be consulted about matters that affect them. Okay. That is what it is about. All right.
0: Let me move on to uh, unhelpful questions on (laughs) defence. No, I'm joking. No, obviously the defence strategic review is coming. Let's just, can we start with a conceptual question and then I've got some specifics. How do you see the threat environment at this point in time?
1: We live in an insecure world. We have a land war taking place in Europe where a large country has invaded a much smaller, less powerful country uh, which has sovereign borders, which has a democratically elected government and is attempting to change the circumstances there uh, through brute force, Mm -hmm. through an illegal invasion. Uh, we have uh, a, a strategic competition in our own region with two great powers now the United States and People's Republic of China with competition in the region mm. uh, so
0: dangerous is that if well, you had to if you had to describe it in a word
1: I, I I don't think that one of the things that the Biden administration said when uh, Joe Biden became president, and, and my government has reflected as well as try not to reduce foreign and international sure, relations to, to single it. words.
0: No, 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 of course. but, like, but like it's...
1: it is, it, it is an insecure world in which we need to put in place measures that increase peace and security in our region.
0: Well, just picking up on that point, um, do you think that Australia needs to think more seriously than we have in the past about self-defence?
1: Yes. Put simply, yes, we do. And,
0: uh, and so what does that mean?
1: What that means is uh, the reason why we're having the Defence Strategic Review uh, run by Angus Houston and Stephen Smith was what are the... Assets that Australia needs to defend ourselves or to deter uh, any uh, action against ourselves. Uh, where should they be located, and how is that uh, best dealt with in yep. terms of our capacity? Yep. So it's not necessarily just about you know, well, we spent so many dollars. Was that the best use of every yeah. dollar? what are we
0: spending the dollars on and
1: it is, so on. Is a, a change from uh, the former government who had massive blowouts and, and a failure to deliver, in many cases, uh, what was committed to.
0: So will this require this enhanced self-defence? Will this require more defence spending in total? I mean, look, because obviously in a budget, you, you spend money, you save money right? Uh, in terms of defence spending, what are we looking at? Are we looking at more defence spending with not many offsets or w- what are we looking at?
1: Well, I won't go through the budget process with pity. you on your podcast here, Catherine, um, but I think it's fair to say that there certainly won't be less, but we also are looking at appropriate value and making sure that uh our capacity is increased.
0: So so what what that means is that some projects may be advanced but maybe others are terminated or...?
1: Well, that we're working through those issues but it just means that uh, when you're spending a dollar, is it going to the right place? Yep. Is obviously what a Defence Strategic Review is and we know that there's been a change in... The, the warning times, if you like, of when conflict might occur as well. And that changes some of the dynamic. It was thought you, you, you mean would, it. it reaches you, you would faster have a, than... Yeah, you it? would have a 10-year mm. window of, of conflict. Uh, that's not necessarily the case mm. anymore. Indeed, well, it, it's not mm. the advice. No. Uh, mm. So we need to make sure that uh, we have the right assets. Uh, we're examining that. We're working through the AUKUS arrangements with the United Kingdom and the United States, uh, but we're also looking at our capacity in general here as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and I'd put it in uh, a framework which is even broader than the, the one that you started with, which is that one of the lessons of the pandemic is, in general, we need to be more self-reliant. We need to be less vulnerable to international shocks, yeah. which might be a health shock through a pandemic, it might be a cyber issue, it might be a supply chain issue, or it might be a military conflict.
0: Or it might be unreliable ally- or alliance partners. If, if we think about the United States, is Joe Biden going to be there after the next election?
1: Well, that of course is a matter for the people of the United States. Uh, but uh, if you look at our interdependency in a whole range of areas, the pandemic uh, should have given Everybody wake up call. a wake-up call. In the United States, the Inflation Reduction Act is a major, major reform that will see the US become more self-reliant. Uh, if you look at the range of areas, including the transition to renewables, You know, we need to make more things here. Mm. When you look at access to pharmaceuticals, we need to make more things here. When you look at heavy manufacturing, we need to make more things here.
0: defence capability feeds into that.
1: And defence capability is a part of advanced manufacturing that has spin-offs as well. Can
0: I ask you a question that I have always wanted to ask you and I've forgotten to ask you on a number of occasions? Just with AUKUS, which you mentioned a minute ago, obviously it's pretty important eventuality, let's call it that. Would Labor have pursued AUKUS if Scott Morrison hadn't, in essence, walked down that path and committed Australia to nuclear submarines from the US? Like if you- well,
1: AUKUS, AUKUS is not just about nuclear submarines. Sure. That's no. important. Yeah. It's about our defence uh, arrangements. It's about interoperability. It's It, to me, seems when we had the decision to make, and I as Labor uh, leader, um, was surprised by some of the analysis, which seem to forget that there's nothing, if you take a step back, there's nothing terribly surprising by us having relations with the United States sure. and the United Kingdom. No, sure. The United States alliance was forged during World War II, really, by Curtin, mm. who turned to America mm. in 1941 when it was so critical, and then the alliance formally grew out of that over a period of time. And the United Kingdom, of course. Well, our colonial. You know, is yes. uh, a very but, important part but, of but our history hang as well. On, hang
0: on, hang on. But my question, though, isn't, uh, you know, does Labor want to do something with our alliance partners? That's that's not my question. My question is, would you have done AUKUS?
1: Well, we weren't. That's a hypothetical question. Yeah, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? AUKUS, because it's,
0: it's a sliding door moment. So do you think that... Uh, no,
1: I think that there would have been what, your question leaves out. I guess it, it sees AUKUS as being an arrangement between politicians. AUKUS is an arrangement between nations mm. who are friends. Whoever was in government would have had similar. So you think you would have got there anyway? Defence, similar defence departments, defence advice, foreign affairs advice, uh, and that's why our relationship. Uh, with both those nations, has been pretty consistent mm. over a considerable period of time, regardless of who Who's has in been government. in office at any particular time. No, no,
0: sure, and and it's yeah, it's not a trick or a trap question. No, I'm just I, I'm, I'm just genuinely interested. You you think you would have got there anyway?
1: I, I think um, I mean we obviously weren't uh, a, a party to the arrangements and that was a decision that the former Prime Minister took Mm. even though he was asked to consult more widely Mm. the the opposition in it, but he chose not to do so. That says something about the United States as well and its understanding of the relationship between our two nations, mm. that it wasn't a relationship between political no, two parties. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was much deeper than that mm. and uh, that's why the relationship is, I think, is so important.
0: What's our interim Solution, because obviously these submarines, and and we've made the point in this bit of the conversation, obviously that uh, you know the defence review is about more than Orcus, obviously.
1: So yeah, right. Well, we're obviously. working through.
0: What's the interim solution? We're working through. Well, you could those share it now with and the And with we'll the be the having listeners. appropriate
1: announcements. Yes, when given appropriate processes uh, that will work through. So you haven't decided yet. Our cabinet. You haven't decided yet what the interim solution is. We've decided a whole range of things, but one of the things that I've decided even more significant than that is the way that this government will operate, which is that we operate properly, we have proper processes, we'll go through all of that, the cabinet will uh, confirm Decisions that are made, but the National Security Committee uh, has been meeting regularly. We've been meeting already this year, and we'll continue to uh, engage. We have our Foreign Minister and Defence Minister, as we speak, mm, yes, in Gaborie, uh, overseas, mm. uh, meeting with their French counterparts, mm. and then the United Kingdom counterparts as well will be having a discussion and there's already been significant discussions uh, with uh, our friends in the United States
0: and, uh, but timing, like approximately, obviously. I'm, said, I'm, I'm deeply disappointed for the record that you're not going to unveil the AUKUS interim uh, 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 solution on the pod. Unveil everything on, but, on, on yeah, the pod. On the pod.
1: We'll probably uh, but, do it uh, uh, yes, in a, in yes, a bit yeah, of yeah, a... A broader,
0: a broader context. A broader
1: forum and perhaps in, uh, in, in consultation sure, as with well. Sure, with the allies, sure. Uh, but no, but what's the timing? Well, we've said uh, in the first quarter of this year. But it's weeks... We've said in the first quarter, oh, God. so I'm getting
0: nowhere with these questions. What's
1: a, what's a quarter of twelve, Catherine? <laughs> Three.
0: Yes, yeah, I know. Well, well it's either weeks or months, the, isn't it? We're yes. already in the
1: last okay. day of January. Uh, okay. So therefore,
0: <laughs> okay, it's not the end. Yeah, will look, there. yeah, another couple of months. Okay, some at some point in the next couple of months, will you either go to Washington or Beijing this year? Do you think?
1: I fully expect to. Well, I, I will be going to the United States this year. Mm-hmm. When? on at least one occasion and we'll make that announcement at an appropriate time. Hopeless, hopeless. Uh, Because uh, that is, well, I I will be going... To the APEC meeting is being held. Yes, in the US. Uh, that's in right, the United yeah. States yeah. In, in October, San Francisco in either October or November. Mm. Uh, they haven't finalised the date yet. Yep. Uh, so perhaps you can. get yes, you will be going to honour them and, the, and finalise sure, it. Sure, sure. You you, yeah. you will be going to
0: APEC, but I'm talking about going. But I going, will be going yes. to the
1: United States before then.
0: Okay, b- before APEC.
1: Before then, interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay, and, and Beijing. What and the
1: what, Well, I, I don't have uh, one. A, must a be scheduled invited meeting yes. there. Mm. Uh, president Biden has invited me to the United States, and President Biden will be here in Australia as well uh, this year, of course, at the Quad leaders oh, the quad, meeting. Of course, yeah, yeah, of uh, course. with uh, Prime Minister Kashida and Prime Minister Modi. Yes, and I have extended to the president. And the invitation when he comes to address the parliament. Is that
0: likely, do you think? Um,
1: Well, we're hopeful. It depends upon diaries and we haven't finalised the arrangements for the quad leaders meeting yet, the timetable. That will be done as soon as possible. Mm. There are a range of logistics
0: Sure, I'll go No, I I don't. uh,
1: Which are... I can't,
0: that would be unfathomable. Which are extraordinary, but
1: we have a... Draft provisions are in place wow. of a venue and timing as okay. well. But we'll, we'll wait and watch this space, see confirmation. No, so. of course,
0: uh, and I'm very conscious you've been generous with your time, and I appreciate it. And we must be absolutely on the clock by now. Just budget, just a couple of things. Obviously, there will um, be one. There will... <laughs> well, well, no, not only one. There'll be two. There'll be two. We did one in October and one yes, in, that's true. one in May. There will be two in the, in the same financial year, because uh, you know this government is glutton for punishments. Uh, anyway, no, obviously there We've will. We've got be...
1: to give you something to talk sure, about. Sure.
0: No, I'm totally up for the budget. I'm pumped. Um, so obviously that's uh, that's in May. Now there will be um, obviously well two things. Obviously energy rebates because of high energy prices will be a feature of that budget given the agreement you made, you know, over December in terms of rolling that out with the states. So there's a cost of living component in the budget. But there will also be, I'm sure you're acutely conscious and I can't wait for you to roll your eyes at the question, a drumbeat uh, amongst, uh, you know, well-meaning NGOs and others about the stage three tax cuts. We had this debate in October. We had a precursor debate about whether uh, uh, or not this uh, uh, was uh, the most uh, uh, appropriate. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, know, I know you're aware <laughs> of the debate. The question's coming. In May, is there any universe where the government adjusts? Because you're not talking about scrapping them. I've never heard anyone talking about scrapping them. Is there any universe where that package gets adjusted in May?
1: We have not changed our position. Yeah, but
0: that doesn't actually answer the question. It does, actually. Well, well, then can it, you express it more affirmatively because we haven't changed our position. Please. It's exactly
1: what we said last time. Mm-hmm. and uh, So is the answer no? Nothing has changed. Is the We're, answer there, no? There's no debate going on about changing any arrangements for those uh, things in May and – we have not changed our position. Uh, is, are, it, is the answer no? Is the we answer We are focused no. on, but then you get into Catherine the, uh, asking hypotheticals about a range of things on the budget. No, and no, you know no. you've no. been around for a long yes. time, Catherine. Look,
0: I'm. I'm thank you. And you, you know yes. that
1: people do not respond no to, to budget questions. No, no, no. Sure. That way, no, so no. people can go and.
0: Speculate to their heart's content. Speculate
1: to their heart's content.
0: Not very productive speculation, though, if you've got no intention. No, It wasn't last time. No. And and
1: it won't be this time. It won't be in May. Well, I haven't changed our position. Right. We have not changed our position.
0: Right. Is there any... Universe where the position
1: might be changed. You can ask the changed. same question well, a different way, See, but yeah. you'll get you'll get well, the same answer. No,
0: sure, but uh, but the persistence isn't madness. The persistence just reflects the fact that the locution is slightly open ended. You're basically saying no, we haven't changed our position, which which doesn't preclude changing your position if you feel differently in a week's time.
1: Well, Catherine, <laughs> um, you know this is. Now, all I, I I've noted that uh, the coalition are out there running a campaign one way, and some other people will be out there running a campaign the other way, and this is all about something of which a decision in May will have zero impact. Right.
0: Oh well, that's as definitive as I
1: think we can get on that point. No, but we we have not changed our position.
0: Okay. Um. In in the budget, apart from um. Obviously, uh, the the energy rebates, cost of living is a problem more generally, obviously, sure. for people, 7% or whatever that dreadful inflation figure was the other day. Um, more interest rates rises coming down the pipe. Obviously, the government has been concerned about overheating the economy by putting more cash handouts or whatever in the mix. But what is most front of mind for you?
1: Our cost of living is uh, a big issue, which is why we designed the energy policy, the way that we have in a way that would take pressure off inflation, but also the fiscal position of the budget that we inherited with the trillion dollars of debt and not, not much to show for it is something that requires discipline. It requires a responsible budget, which is what we delivered in October and we'll deliver that
0: more savings.
1: Again, in May, there are enormous pressures, spending pressures Mm. on the budget. Mm. One of them we've discussed Mm. is defence. Yeah. Another is the NDIS. Yeah. Uh, Another is aged care and health issues. There are other pressures on expenditure. And one of the pressures on expenditure on the budget is debt that mm. we inherited, mm. where the increase in interest rates impact how much has to be paid on the debt, which is there as well. So that places increased pressure as well. Uh, so we are, are conscious about that, but we'll continue to, to work. The ERC is doing its work. Uh, we met this week. We met last week. We'll meet next week, mm. uh, continuing to do the the work of of uh, getting a policy agenda, which one of the things about the Labor Party is there's lots of ministers with lots of ideas. Uh, we can't do everything that we would like to do in our first year. Uh, we've been in government for seven months. Uh, we've done what we said we would do, plus some additional reforms like paid parental leave, the expansion of that. Uh, was in addition that came out of the Jobs and Skills Summit. But we will be responsible in how we do it because to do otherwise is to be counterproductive mm. because if it's not a responsible budget, it could place more pressure uh, because... Uh, yeah, well, it, it overheats, all... overheats
0: the economy, et cetera. Yeah. Yep.
1: So it, it's counterproductive. So we're we're very conscious about that but conscious as well of... Concentrating on the areas of productive investment that lead to a stronger economy down the track. So, infrastructure investment, the National Reconstruction Fund in new industries and jobs, free, free TAFE, childcare is an economic participation Mm. and productivity measure as well. So, we're looking at those productive areas of the economy as well, how we drive productivity will be one of the themes of the budget.
0: Okay, we might have a conversation sometime after the budget and see see where the sum of human knowledge leads us. We might talk to
1: each other before May, (laughs) surely, Catherine.
0: Well, yes, yes, I think that's inevitable. Sadly for you, I think that's inevitable. Anyway, thank you, uh, Prime Minister, very much for your time. You've been generous with it and I appreciate it and I'm sure the listeners will appreciate it. Thank you to you guys for listening. Uh, I'm sure you'll be interested in this conversation. You know where the Prime Minister is on social media. You can track him down. You can track me down. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week for the opening of the Parliament. See you then. God help us all.